This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, so if we haven't met before, uh, let me welcome you and say it's really great to have you here. Uh, we're in the middle of a study of, a, of an ancient book uh, that has really amazing connections and relevance for where we are today. It's a book of Habakkuk, and I forgot I was going to say something before I gave my introduction to my message, so reel that back up. Hey, I want to let you guys know, and I want to invite you out. Uh, we, the, our building is used all the time. I cannot even tell you. I, I come in here all the time. I have no idea who's in the building. We, we just, our building is used all the time during the weeks, at nights. Uh, people rent it. It's just uh, just an, an abundance of folks that use it. So we don't ever announce all that kind of stuff because it's other people uh, doing things. But I do want to announce something that's happening in here tomorrow night. Um, and uh, that is uh, the uh, for the upcoming elections in Frisco, uh, there'll be a candidate forum that's happening in here. Our church is the facility. We're not, we're not hosting it or leading it. Uh, it's put on by the Chamber of Commerce. But we've been doing these since we moved into the building. So we've done these every election cycle for multiple years and never really announced it. And so I come to this, and the room's packed out, and there's not one Grace Church person here because none of you knew about it. Uh, And that's just wrong because part of our calling is to be responsible citizens. We're going to be talking about that a lot in the next year or so. We're going to talk about public faith, and this is part of it. It's, It's taking ownership of our community. And, uh, and really living in a way and voting in a way that would bring flourishing to the greatest number of people in our community. So you can't do that if you don't know for whom to vote and we don't endorse candidates or anything like that. But we do open the door so you can come hear them all. So tomorrow night at 6.30 right here, uh, there's two city council seats in Frisco that are open. So there'll be candidates for both of those. Probably debate. Uh, th- these are not real formal debates. They're not ugly like our national political debates, uh, thankfully. Uh, but, uh, uh, but they are discussions on the issues, and there are differences. So there's certainly something of a debate to that. So there'll be uh, two city council positions are open. There'll be Frisco school board positions. So if you live outside of Frisco but in the school district and vote for the uh, school board, you can uh, be here for that. And then the Collin College uh, board as well, there'll be some uh, elections there. So I want to let you know about that. It's at 6.30 tomorrow. They usually last an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity that, w- that, that we get to host, and we just have never talked much about it. So there you go. There'll be people from all over the city uh, who will be here, uh, including the leaders of our city gathered here tomorrow night. Okay, now back to Habakkuk. Sorry, I forgot about that. We're talking about when life doesn't make sense. So we're reading from an author, a a prophet, who was writing uh, somewhere between 609 B.C. and 587 B.C. So his world is very different than ours. Uh, He's under a different covenant than we are. Uh, He's part of the old covenant people of God in Judah, the southern kingdom. And Habakkuk is writing about this time in the history of the people of God when there is great moral decline. They'd experienced renewal, but now there is great moral decline. And he is crying out to God, God, why do you not intervene? Here are your people. Their people are being oppressed. The powerful are oppressing the weaker. Uh, There's violence. He talks about this kind of violence. People are physically harming one another in Jerusalem. 
Uh, and he's asking God, why are you just like looking on? You're not doing anything about this. Why are you just looking and doing nothing? In essence, it's kind of implying, do you hear us? Uh, where are you? Why aren't you helping your people? So then when we make a cry to the Lord like that, we uh, don't get a response like Habakkuk does. Habakkuk gets a response from God. And God says, I am active and I am doing something, but you don't see it. And even if I told you about it, you wouldn't even believe it. Because what I'm doing is I'm over here raising up the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians. So I'm over here working with this very evil people. And I'm raising them up and preparing them to come invade you. And uh, to come bring a judgment to his own people who have turned from him, who, are, who have repeatedly, when called to come back to him, have turned from him. So he tells them they're going to come, and ultimately this does happen in, in uh, 587 B.C. The ba- Babylonians come in, they raid Jerusalem, they destroy God's temple, they restore, destroy the city walls, and they take uh, a number of God's people, certainly the leaders of God's people, they take them into exile into Babylon. So once he tells Habakkuk that, Habakkuk is stunned. That is impossible, God. How could you do that? How could you take evil people and like we're bad, but they're really bad and they're not in relationship with you? So why would you take somebody really evil to harm someone uh, relatively less evil like us, your unfaithful, rebellious people? And so um, Habakkuk, once God tells him this, Habakkuk says, okay, this does not make sense, but here's what I know to be true of God. And so he begins to go through this thing of reminding himself that God is self-existent, that God is holy, uh, that God is faithful, that God rules over all. He reminds himself of what he knows to be true about God during a time of uncertainty. And then he says to the Lord, but I still don't get this one thing. How could you use the Chaldeans uh, against us? So basically, he reminds himself when life doesn't make sense, he reminds himself of what he knows to be certain about God, and he sort of leaves what is uncertain. He just leaves that with the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So after God responds to him, he responds back and says, I'm just in waiting mode to see what the Lord will do. And so today, this is what we're going to look at. Chapters 2, verses 1 through 4. It's on page 458. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can grab it and turn to page uh, 458, and you can track along with this. If you, we've been getting a lot of questions uh, because these are big philosophical issues that this book is raising. So we've been answering those on the podcast, trying to answer them uh, on a conversational podcast we do midweek. So if you have questions, you can text into that number, and then we will uh, seek to answer them as best we can this week. So verses 1 through 4, chapter 2. Uh, This is what happens after um, Habakkuk says, I'm waiting to see what the Lord will say next. I will, uh, verse uh, one again, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. 
but the righteous shall live by his faith. So the answer is God will judge the Chaldeans. uh, What's going to happen later in this chapter, the next section, if you look at verse beginning of verse 6, God's answer is that he is going to judge the Chaldeans ultimately. So there will be justice. But he first talks to Habakkuk about faith and waiting in faith. So he tells him what to do in the meantime before the Chaldean invasion and ultimately before God judges them in justice. So the first thing he talks about here is waiting in faith. And then he talks about living by faith, waiting in faith and living by faith. He's at his watch post. He's confident in God's character. He's waiting for God's answer. And from a position of waiting to hear from God, he gets the answer. And the answer is you got to wait longer. Not the answer anybody wants. You're already waiting you must wait longer. That's what God says. If it seems slow, verse 3, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God says to him, first of all, in verse 2, write the vision. Write the vision. So what is the vision? These are the three most important words a pastor can ever give. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the vision is because he doesn't tell us what the vision is. I think the the leading candidates would be either the rest of the chapter, because if you look in verse 4, he says, behold, which means look. Uh, It could be the judgment of the Chaldeans, which we'll look at next week for the rest of the chapter. It could be that. Uh, It could be the book as a whole. That could be the vision. It could be a section of it. We really don't know exactly, Habakkuk knew. We really don't know. We got the whole book, but perhaps some of it was to be written down. Maybe all of it for his people. We're not exactly sure. But the big idea is that God's response to Habakkuk is not going to solve everything immediately. Um, This is going to take a while, so you need to write it down, is what he says. You need to write the vision. You need to record what I'm telling you. You need to put it down, because though it is certain what I'm telling you will happen, it is not immediate, and it will require further, uh, further waiting. He's to record it so that it can be read and it can be remembered. Look what he says. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. In Habakkuk's time, it would have been common to put notices or even announcements kind of things on wooden tablets to display. And so he's saying, look, what I'm telling you, make a message board out of it so that it can be displayed. Write it plainly so that it can be easily read. So this is not just a private conversation between Habakkuk and God. This is now not just, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do so that you can be at ease as a prophet, but, or not be at ease as the case may be. But what I'm telling you is that I want my people to know this vision. I want my people to know my plan. I want my people to hear what I'm telling you, Habakkuk, because they will need to know this. Why? It says, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, what does he mean by he may run? So he's going to write a vision, which is some portion or the entirety of this book and uh, of this message. And then the person who reads that tablet, 
gets that message, he will be able to run. What does that mean? Well, it could be that the people who read this are called to sort of run and proclaim it. It could be a, a, a calling to be a messenger. Write this down so that other people can know this message, and then they can run, in essence, and tell others. Or it could mean run in the sense of making progress, uh, you're running your race, so to speak. So he's saying there are more days of waiting to be followed by deep days of difficulty when the Chaldeans attack. So keep the vision before the people so that they can continue to walk by faith or they continue to run by faith. In other words, he's saying even when the circumstances are grim, they'll have this vision to sort of keep them going. And running is a picture of making progress and continuity in walking with God. It could mean that. Either way, whether it means messengers will run with the message or whether it means this will be a message which will sustain all of God's people. Either way, and perhaps both are true, but the message is intended to bring a promise. It's intended to bring hope to keep God's people going in difficult times. God always does this. The Lord has given us a revelation. He's given us a purpose, a vision, a statement of who he is. We're studying it right now. He has given this to keep his people forward moving in times when it appears that he's absent. In times when you look around and say, this doesn't look like what I would expect God to do. This doesn't look like what should be happening to the church. This doesn't look like what should be happening in our lives as we seek to be faithful. And so he says, as you wait for me to work, keep running with hope and use the vision on a tablet as your means to keep going. It is the message. It's interesting. He's calling, he's calling them to sort of an active waiting. I don't know if you, what you think about the term waiting, uh, to wait. I mean, it's a four-letter word for me, wait. I do not like it at all. Uh, this is my, my fastball in life is not waiting. I'm not good at that. But I, I don't like just waiting, and nor do you probably. Um, but he's not calling them to the kind of waiting. I love this fact that he says, take the vision, read it, and run. I love that because even though there's a waiting, it's sort of an active waiting. Uh, it's something some of us this morning need to hear because you're waiting on something and you're not sure what, you're waiting on the Lord to do something in your life, to change something, and you're, you're not sure what you should be doing, but you should be progressing, being active in what you know to be true of the Lord and what he's called you to do, to be faithful in your various activities, your various callings, your roles in life, to continue. Waiting doesn't mean you put everything on hold. Waiting means that we're called to continue to run. The 19th century Scottish pastor, George Matheson, wrote about this, about waiting and he, from this passage. And he said this, We commonly associate patience, waiting, with lying down. Yet there is a patience that I believe to be harder, the patience that can run. To lie down in the time of grief, to be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune, implies a great strength. But I know of something that implies a strength greater still. It is the power to work under stress, to have a great weight at your heart and still run, to have a deep anguish in your spirit and still perform the daily tasks. It is a Christ-like thing, 
The hardest thing is that most of us are called to exercise our patience, not in the sick bed, but in the street, which doesn't minimize anybody who's in the sick bed for sure. Um, but he's saying patience and waiting is not just, for most of us in most circumstances, is not a removal from life's circumstances. It's not a removal from the pain and the hurt and the questions and the burdens. It's moving in the midst of them. It is waiting for the Lord to act, but it's a waiting by faith. It's a waiting that says, by faith, I'm going to continue to do what you've put in front of me. I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to do the next thing. Everything within me says, God, this doesn't make sense, and I just want to check out. But waiting in this case so that we may run when we read God's vision, it is a progress and a faithfulness in our lives as we wait for him to demonstrate before us his faithfulness. Waiting is not inactivity, but actively serving God until he intervenes, and whether he intervenes in a way we anticipate or not. Actively serving while we wait for him. Verse 3 again says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come it will not delay. So God is saying, I will fulfill my word, Habakkuk. What I've promised, I will do. You're going to have to wait. But in the meantime, you run with what I've given you. You, 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 you own the vision. You live by the vision. You review the tablet, the message on a tablet, it, what's been written plain. You share that with others. You work under the stress. You proceed under the uncertainty by faith. That's what he's calling Habakkuk to. Habakkuk probably just wanted to run away. Oh, man, I know what's coming. This is bad. I'm just going to go live somewhere else. I'm just going to go check out. I'll just go like live away from God's people. No, you write this down and give this to God's people. This will sustain you. God will fulfill his word. It will seem slow. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It may, you may continue to ask, how long, O Lord? In other words, he, he is saying, not you may, you will. The whole book opens with, how long, O Lord? And the Lord's answer is, well, not yet. Not yet. You're going to be praying the how long, long, O Lord prayer longer. But don't do it apart from your callings in life. Run. Be faithful. Wait in faith. We expect changes instantly. I think our mindset, and a lot of this is, is, is a modern way, a lot of this I believe is affected, I believe our thinking, I believe our, actually our brains and our thinking have been so affected by the technological world that we live in. I mean, the reality is that most people have the attention span of a housefly. We have so much information coming and going and moving all the time. The world, it's never been, there's never been a time in history when you could know everything, <laughs> in essence, going on with the world and be bombarded with constant, constant information. I mean, back in this day, you, you, didn't, you didn't have that, anything approximating that. And so, so we, are, we are not accustomed to wait. We are not accustomed to slow. We are accustomed to, I should just read the Bible and it should happen. 
or at least read it, maybe, okay, maybe read it for a week in a row, like seven days in a row, and then it should happen. Then, voila, presto, sanctification, I should be changed, or my circumstance should be changed. I've been praying about that for a week, a month. I've been praying about that for a long time. How long? Ah, six weeks. So we, our, our, our idea of waiting, if you read the Bible, you'll find God is not working. Uh, God's timetable is not minutes or hours or days or months. It's years. Actually, if you read the Bible, God's timetable is generations. God is playing a very long game. He's playing the long game, and we need to adapt that mindset, which even Habakkuk, without an internet, without uh, anything that we have in the modern world, even he is saying, how long, O Lord? And the Lord is saying, well, not yet. It's going to be a while. We need a patient, long-term view. One of the things that may be the most helpful thing for us to pray would be, Lord, would you adjust my mindset for waiting and what you're doing over the long haul so that I, so that I think long like you do, so that I am thinking, uh, I'm thinking slow, incremental change over a while. There's a story I read about... Uh, 19th century. This is my second time to use a 19th century pastor. This guy was from New England. His name is Philip Brooks. Why am I using 19th century pastors? Because there's no illustration about waiting in the 21st century. I couldn't find any. <laughs> Nobody, if you want to find out about waiting, like the earliest you can go is to the 1800s, okay? And, but really, you got to go like before Christ. So anyway, this guy is Phillips Brooks. He's a noted uh, pastor of the day. He was an Episcopal pastor, well-known author, um, and he was noted for really having a quiet manner and being a very poised uh, individual. I think he was as, as from Boston. And um, he, he, he at times, though, could uh, have moments where he would be frustrated and irritable like anyone else. Even though he's a bit out of character, he was human. So one day, a friend saw him like feverishly pacing back and forth in the room. He was just like frantically walking back and forth. It seemed very out of character. And uh, the person said to him, Mr. Brooks, Mr. Brooks, what, what is the trouble? And Phillips Brooks answered, well, the trouble is that I am in a hurry, but God isn't. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Let me ask you, is there an area of your life today where you go, I don't really want to hear a sermon about waiting <laughs> because there's an area in my life right now where I'm in a hurry and evidently God isn't. What area is God calling you to wait in? God does some of his most profound work in our lives and among his people here, the people of Judah. He does some of his most profound work in seasons of waiting. We think God works in seasons where we can actually see pronounced revival or mass conversions or miracles or growth and expansion. And he does work in all those kind of things. And we're praying for those kind of, we want those kinds of things. But the reality is that God is often doing his most stable, long-term work in times of waiting. So what is it that you've been praying about but received no answer? What have you been expecting to happen in your family, in your work, 
in a, in a particular relationship that has not yet materialized? What is it that you say to the Lord, how long, like Habakkuk? What is it in your life where you're saying, how long, O Lord? Well, listen, this passage speaks to you today. This passage speaks. If you're saying how long, my timetable is not the Lord's, I'm in a hurry, he's not, where are you, Lord? This passage is solid ground for you to stand on. It doesn't say when God will act. It's not solid ground because it's a sure answer of when he will do something. It does not say when or if God will provide a spouse for you. It does not say that. I wish I could make a promise like that, but I can't. It doesn't say that. It doesn't tell you uh, when or if the spouse you have will change. It doesn't tell you that. It doesn't tell you when you will be recognized or fairly recognized or properly uh, compensated for all the work you do. It does not say that. Does not say when your loved one will turn to the Lord or when your when your loved one will return to the Lord. It doesn't say how long, it doesn't say whether the chemo will work for you or your loved one, or whether the cancer will turn and if so, return, if so, when. It doesn't say if the cravings for your addiction will become easier, there will be a time when you don't experience those same cravings, and if so, when. It doesn't, it doesn't give those kinds of answers. It doesn't tell us that. But this is what he does say. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God gives his word that he will fulfill his purposes for your life. He will accomplish his will in your life, and his will ultimately is better than your will. God loves you and wants the best for you and knows what's best for you. You don't know that. I don't know that. The Bible calls us children of God. And if you've got young children, that makes a lot of sense. Children don't know what's best for them. We often don't know what's best for them, but we got a lot better idea than they do as a parent for a young child. But God knows perfectly what's best for us. And he promises that for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he has a purpose, those called to his purpose, that he will work all things for our good to make us more like Jesus, not to fulfill the script we write for ourselves, but to make us more like Christ. He may seem slow, but he will fulfill his purpose. Now, here's the thing. We don't have a vision, only a vision on a tablet like the people did that were in Habakkuk's day, we have something much greater. We have a full revelation of God's word, and we have knowledge and relationship with the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. In Habakkuk's day, they couldn't even imagine what we have, could not even imagine what we have in Jesus Christ We have God in the flesh who has come to give his life for us to reconcile himself to himself. This is unlike any other vision. This is unlike any other religious plan on the earth. Because in this plan, you don't fulfill God's plan through your obedience and your sacrifice, and then he accepts you. Rather, he accepts you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and then gives you a vision and a plan for your life. 
based on the fact that Jesus obeyed and Jesus sacrificed so that you receive what he has done by faith. And in the meantime, we do face various kinds of suffering, including waiting, which can be a terrible suffering. And yet, he promises in Christ, he promises to be with us and to be present at work in us. His Holy Spirit is within us, working in us. This is something that Habakkuk, in Habakkuk's day, they could not imagine to be reconciled with God, to not need a priest or a regular sacrifice uh, to be clean before the Lord, but for once and for all to be clean because of the work of Jesus, the great high priest. To have Jesus, by his spirit, living inside us, to be united with Christ, to be given a fresh calling and purpose in our life. They could not even imagine what we have experience. In the book, Paul Tripp's book, which we have out on the Resource Center on Suffering, it is simply outstanding. He's got a whole chapter about the comforting presence of God in suffering. And he talks about the two foundational promises. This is all because of the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He gives us two promises uh, that, are, that are primary in the New Testament to, to sustain us. Um, And and that is that God promises to be with us, and God promises never to leave or forsake us. These are foundational promises that we can be certain of because of Christ. He promises to work while we wait. So don't waste your waiting. It's never in vain. Your waiting may be preparation for something that God has wonderful for you, that he wants to do in you and through you. It may be waiting that is preparatory, but you know what? Even if it's not preparing you for something else, God wants to work in the waiting in your life. God wants to work in the waiting in your life. Well, I'm going to be very brief. He not only talks about waiting by faith, but I'm going to be brief on this last point. He talks about living by faith. Look at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So, uh, in context, the puffed up person is certainly the Chaldeans. They're the enemy that is coming to attack. In the context, the Chaldeans are the one who are puffed up because we saw they worship their own military strength. They worship their own power. They worship themselves. But the reality is that anyone that does not live a life that is entrusting the Lord, entrusting him or herself to the Lord, is a person that is puffed up. Puffed up is a picture of someone that is self-sufficient, self-reliant, that, that finds life in himself, herself. It's a picture of one whose trust is in himself rather than God. So really, the puffed up person is anyone outside of a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ, someone who trust, has trusted God by faith. But he says, the righteous person, verse 4 again, shall live by his faith. This is the gospel according to Habakkuk. This is, many would say, the key, kind of a key verse of the entire book. Because what he is talking, what God is talking about is his people, his people, the righteous, are to live a life of faith. And they are being called right now to live confident in him a life of faith. This is living according to what is written on the tablet and beyond. 
It's central to the book, but it's also central to the Christian gospel. It's really the core of the Christian faith because from first to last, Christianity is about trusting in God's work and not our own. So this verse right here, the righteous shall live by his faith in little old Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 4 is repeated in the New Testament. I believe in a few places, but one place it's repeated is Romans Romans 1, let's look at this, Romans 1, 26 through 27. It's up on the screen, but wait while I look for it in my Bible. Uh, <laughs> going old school with paper and all. So Romans 1, this is what Paul writes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, here's our verse, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, where is it written? It's written in Habakkuk. We just read it. And so one one thing you can do when reading an Old Testament, and thank you for leaving that up. Please leave that up for a minute if you would. One thing when you're reading verses in the Old Testament, when they are repeated in the New Testament, it is the New Testament application or interpretation that we want to consider as well. We look at it, first of all, in its context in the Old Testament, which we've done, but then we see Paul uses it and sort of expands for us this verse in the New Testament, and he does it by saying this, that God provides a righteousness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Everyone who believes the Jew first and then the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we receive his righteousness at conversion. When we believe in Jesus, we are credited with the righteousness of God, righteousness of Christ. But it is also what we are to live by. We are to live by faith. So we We come into salvation by faith, and then we, in an ongoing way, live by faith. This verse, Habakkuk, that we're reading, Habakkuk 2, repeated by Paul and interpreted somewhat there. This verse has significant historical meaning. As a matter of fact, we are sitting in a Protestant church, humanly speaking, historically speaking, because of Habakkuk's verse, because of Uh, Paul's expounding on that verse and because of that verse's effect on Martin Luther. I want to read you something that I think is very, very interesting. This is from a book by Anthony Hokomo where he talks about this verse that we just read, the righteous shall live by faith, uh, a righteousness from God, uh, and how he writes about the effect on Martin Luther. He says, Martin Luther had tried everything sleeping on hard floors, going without food, even climbing a staircase in Rome on his hands and knees, but to no avail. His teachers at the monastery told him that he was doing enough to have peace of soul, but he had no peace. His sense of sin was too deep. He had been studying the Psalms, and they often mentioned, quote, the righteousness of God. But this term bothered him. He thought it meant God's punitive righteousness, whereby he punishes sinners. And Luther knew that he was a sinner. So when he saw the word righteousness in the Bible, he saw red. One day he opened his Bible to the book of Romans, and there he read about the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God for salvation. We just read that. This was good news. But the next verse, Romans 1.17 said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. 
There was that bad word righteousness again. And Luther's depression returned. It got worse when he went on to read about the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness in verse 18. So Luther turned again to verse 17. How could Paul have written such terrible words? The righteousness of God. Had he, Luther, perhaps misunderstood them? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Suddenly the light dawned on him. The righteousness of God Paul here had in mind was not God's punitive righteousness which leads him to punish sinners, but rather a righteousness which God gives to the needy sinner and which the sinner accepts by faith. This was a spotless and perfect righteousness earned by Christ which God graciously bestows on all who believe. No longer did Luther need to seek the basis of peace of soul in himself, in his own good works, now he could look away from himself to Christ and live by faith instead of groveling in fear. At that moment, the Protestant Reformation was born. Bells began to ring in Luther's soul. Peace and joy now flooded his being. Romans 1.17 now became for him, quote, the gate of paradise, the key which unlocked the Bible. Paul takes this statement from Habakkuk and says, listen, we are called to righteousness, but it is, a, it is a righteousness that God provides. God provides the righteousness that we need to make us right with him. God calls Habakkuk and his people to live by faith, confident in him. And Paul takes the very same verse and calls us to the same, reminding us that the righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that God provides. It's It's not earned through our behavior. It's not earned through our works. It's received by faith as a gift. If we are trusting him for our salvation, as we talked about earlier, if we're trusting him for our very salvation, which is our greatest need, we can trust him for everything else. So we receive his righteousness, which he provides to make us right with himself in Christ. We receive that, and then we live our lives by faith in him. We receive him by faith, and then we walk out that faith. That's what verse 17 says. That's how Habakkuk 2 applies We trust it. We look back at all that he has provided for us. Think of what God has provided. He's provided atonement for our sin. He's provided forgiveness. He's provided spiritual life when we were spiritually dead. He's provided new life. He's provided an invitation to become part of his kingdom and actually put us in his kingdom. He's provided his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. He has adopted us as his children. He's given us a grand calling to glorify him in all that we do because we are now united with his son. We are dependent upon him. He is the vine and we are the branches, and he lives his life now through us in all of our various callings. He has provided all of that. He has done for us what we never could do for ourselves and what we weren't even looking for. We were God-haters, and now he has made us lovers of God by showering us with his love. So what Paul is saying here is, in the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection, the righteousness of God is revealed. You find out how you can be right with God. So you receive that by faith. And as it is written, you not only receive it by faith, but you now live all of your life by faith. The connection is that if he has taken care of our greatest need, now we can trust him with what's in front of us. Be it uncertainty, 
be it the vision of Habakkuk that difficult days are coming, be it we can't reconcile how this is going to happen and why that's not happening and this mystery over here and this painful circumstance over here and I really don't get this and that, by the way, makes no sense to me. God, how could you? All of that stuff, we can be confident that God will take care of that because he has already provided for us way beyond what we could imagine in giving us his righteousness and making us right with him based on nothing that we have done. If God has reconciled to you, you to himself based on nothing that you have done, you've contributed nothing but your sin that he had to die for. That's all you've contributed. If he has done all of that for you, can you not, can I not live by faith? Those who are righteous in Christ are called to live a life of faith. And he calls us to live each pressing day confident that he will fulfill his purposes. How do I do that? I need some kind of handle. You know, I need some kind of rocks to step on to get across the creek. How do I do that? I think one key way is to rehearse and to review what he's already done for us in Christ daily. Sometimes multiple times within the day. We need to be reminded of what he has done for us that stirs our confidence, that builds our faith, that I can trust you in this because of what you've already done for me in Christ. Today you stand in the righteousness of Christ, which you received as a gift, and now you're to live a life running with the vision of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to fulfill his purpose in you. And you're to wait for him to fulfill his purposes, whatever they may be, but you don't wait on the sidelines. You wait confident in the gospel, confident in what he's doing, resting in his righteousness, and full bore, living your life by faith in all of the places that he's called you to be, in all of the roles that he's given you, in all of the responsibilities that he's given you, confident that he's got you. He had you before the, the dawn of time, and he will have you for all eternity. And he's with you, and he will not leave you. Are there questions? Absolutely. But there's coming a day when he will return, and your questions will disappear. In the meantime, walk by faith because of what he has already done for you. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.